Well, hello again. I'm David Meredith. I'm the Mission Director of the Free Church of Scotland and very warm welcome to our latest Generation podcast. And in the studio, well, it's really my office, uh, is an old friend of mine, Andy Patterson. Andy, hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you, David. Great, great. Now, Andy, you are, you've got two jobs just now. You are mission director for the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. So you're my kind of counterpart in the FIC. And you're an associate pastor at Charlotte Chapel, which is a large Baptist church here located in the West End of Edinburgh. Um, I I mean, folk know that I'm a mission director and folk are always saying, what does he do? And uh, I don't know if the folk in the FIC ever ask the same question. So when folks say to you, Andy, what do you do? What do you say? Well, it's, it was a new role. Um, when FIC sort of turned, changed things, and we had new structures and everything, one of the roles that was put in place, uh, they called it uh, initially in the sort of draft an outreach uh, director. And I was then approached by John Stevens, who was the national director, to become the outreach director. Um, because the church that I'd pastored for 24 years in Bristol, we planted a number of churches. Uh, actually, I said to John, John, I'm, I won't be the outreach director. I don't believe in outreach because it has the sense that you're sort of, you, you make forays like an army. Yeah. You capture a few folks and you bring them back in. Um, I said, no, I want the title mission director because I think mission is what we're really about it's people living under the lordship of jesus just delighting in him using every opportunity they have to speak of him and inevitably in god's grace to see folks coming together in new places gathered together in churches uh in different locations uh throughout the uk so i'm mission director and i think probably it's taken me a while to understand what it means and i think it's probably taken folks in the fic a while to understand what it means but having said that over that was about 2012 when I uh, started this when we had our first mission director I think the sense of getting um, what we're about as a group of churches is we are a group of churches on mission our our stated aim is to reach out to the United Kingdom with the good news of Jesus Christ so that people are saved uh, and and come to know him yeah, no. I can just tell you, saved, that's a really old-fashioned word, and uh, it's a word that I like, mm. and a word that we don't hear all that often. How, do you like it? Yeah, I, do, I, I, I prefer saved at times to other words. Um, converted, mm, saved, saved is in opposition to lost. Yeah. In other words, we've got to realise that without Jesus Christ, people are lost. They are eternally lost. Yeah. They're lost in this life. They're lost in the life to come. And we want to see them saved from that. Now, you and I would put various theological terms to it, whether it's born again, justified, redeemed. The scripture itself has a whole um, dictionary of terms that try to reach after explaining this amazing work that God sovereignly does in the lives yeah. of people. And, and they're all great words. You know, yeah. we talk about, you know, regeneration. It's mm. almost like something, Doctor Who, the great regenerator, uh, the new birth, giving a, an opportunity of new life in, in Jesus. And it really is quite amazing. I mean, <clears throat> what I do is, I suppose, like what you do, if churches invite me in, I'll talk to them. I act as a kind of insider, outsider, look at how they do mission. Um, is that the sort of thing that you would do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, initially, um, 
in my role, I was called into that a lot more. So churches who wanted to do planting just didn't know what planting was. Um, when we started planting churches in Bristol, it was round about 2003, 2004, <laughs> and it really, church planting had gone into abeyance. So we were trying yeah. to sort of make it up as we went along. Now, uh, and in the early stages of what I was doing, uh, folks were saying, come and tell us what this means, come and tell us what it looks like, come and speak about some of the models <laughs> that we could use. Now, increasingly, church planting is the in thing. If I could say it's the sexy thing. It's, the, yeah. uh, it's a thing that people now uh, judge a church by. You know, how many churches have you planted mm -hmm. rather than how many people do you have in membership? Um, so, yeah, I think there is uh, language about this. The culture has changed. And in FIEC, we are seeing an increasing number of churches plant. So we, we probably are seeing FIC churches plant about new church every three weeks okay. at, at the moment. So it's one new church every three weeks is what you're seeing. Is that a network of over 600 churches? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And do you think it is a, a fad? Do you think it is a thing of the moment? No. Uh, no, it's not. We've been planting churches. People have been planting churches. From the beginning of From time. the beginning. And actually, of course, what folks don't get is the probably the greatest historical church planter that we have ever seen was actually John Calvin. Yeah. You know, the recent historical research that's been done on John Calvin's life and the way that he devoted his final years, probably the final decade of his life, he was the number one church planter. And the result that that had in France was really, really remarkable. Uh, up until obviously the St Bartholomew massacre, which really changed things. Yeah, I, I mean, wasn't the average, you know, life of a church plan one of Calvin's church planters less than ten years? Yeah. I mean, these guys faced persecution; they faced so yeah. many difficulties. And some of these were mega churches. You sure. know, we we condemn at times wrongly, I think, the, the mega churches which ran into thousands. Many of these churches in France during the time of Calvin. Though some of them were meeting in secret, they numbered thousands. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think it's wrong to have an ambition? Do you think it's wrong to think about numbers? No. Um, it, it's interesting when you look through Acts, Luke often makes references, sure. doesn't he, to, to, to numbers. Um, but numbers aren't everything because you and I know uh, in different church planting situations, some church plants will fly yeah. and they will grow rapidly. Other church plants will grow very slowly. Okay. And is it the guy? By and large, well, sometimes that factor does come in, but often it, it, it's not. It's different soil, different ways that God works. Even if you go back to the Acts of the Apostles and you look at what Paul did when he preached around, sometimes it was phenomenal. We would say revival or awakening. Yeah, and yeah. then you look at Athens where he we have one of the most detailed explanations of the gospel that he preached and a few were yeah. saved. Yeah. Um, it's God's sovereign work, but we, we, we're going to get involved alongside the sovereign Do you God. Know, isn't that a case you've got to really watch out for that language? Because someone who is pretty elitist or narrow in the wrong sense of that word may say, well, we're, we're you know, preaching to the blessed few and they are suspicious of large numbers. That mindset is endemic in conservative evangelicalism. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah, and I think there's a number of dynamics that go into that. Um, one, when we see another church growing, we feel threatened. So we sure. think maybe we are doing something wrong. When we see a church growing, sometimes the issue actually is power. We, we pray for growth, 
But the reality in some churches is that when God gives that growth and when people are being saved, sometimes from backgrounds, sometimes from ethnicities that they are not used to, and these people come in and challenge the power that maybe they as a influential family within a church held, they it's not liked and there becomes a suspicion and instead of looking out we become that inward looking church until it's last one out please turn the lights so at the heart of every growing and healthy church there's got to be the death of egos it may be one dominant personality it may be one dominant family but the way forward is death to self um i've got one question if you're in, in a city or in a town okay the soil is exactly the same Church A is thriving. Uh, church B is is not thriving. What should the attitude of Church B uh, be towards Church A? If you were in Church B and you saw Church A really growing uh, with diversity, spiritual life about it, what sort of questions would you be asking? I, I think you would want to be saying, look, do, do you detect that there is real life? Because there is... You know, even if you take the uh, parable of the tares and stuff like that, there can be stuff which is fake and phony and it rises quickly and it disappears. So I think we do have to exercise a degree of discernment. But having exercised that degree of discernment and we see this is of God and people are being genuinely saved, then uh, surely we should be those who are delighting in the blessing that God gives. And um, we are not the only people. Yeah. Now, we will have theological differences. You and I will have theological yeah. differences. But what unites us far, far above everything else <laughs> is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's our love for him. We want to see people being changed by his gospel. And though sure. they may come into practices or cultures that may not always tick every box that we have, look, as long as they've come to know Jesus as Lord, that should be our delight and joy and prayer and if anything it should stimulate us to more thought and consideration of what we are doing it should provoke us to greater prayer and reality before god um yeah so we should be big gospel hearted people gospel generosity absolutely, absolutely is is all, all the way uh, i mean god has not given a, a franchise to the baptists or the presbyterians or the, the independents you know it's whoever yep. is gospel orientated yep. and lo- loving him we talk a lot about church culture and i would say that a healthy church is not necessarily seen in terms of numbers i think numbers is one of the signs of health possibly um, what would you say defines a church culture? What changes a church culture? Maybe even what is a church culture? Yeah, that there will be a church culture because by the word culture, we are just so um, way we do things, articulating yeah. the way we do things, the instinctive way we we do things. Um, so, and, and that's why the preaching of God's word, which is going to be gospel, gospel yeah. in its biggest term that overarching story of God's saving grace which is anchored and centered on the cross of Jesus Christ that is going to keep us humble Mm -hmm. we're all on our knees together as sinners at the foot of the cross and that once that we get that Mm -hmm. once we get that culture and we understand that's where we are. Once the gospel prompts us to see people as they are, 
mm-hmm. in their lostness and emptiness, then the prayer is, is it not, that there will be that love, that mercy, that grace, the life of Jesus that flows through, that what's going to shape our culture is not something where we are... Well, look, let, let, let's take Jonah. Jonah, one of the prophets, but Jonah was such a nationalist. Mm-hmm. And he was actually furious with God when yeah. God said to him, I want you to go and preach to, to Nineveh. Couldn't stand them. Because uh, yeah. he, he, yeah. he was afraid God was going to bless the people that he hated. Yeah. And uh, there's this very ethnocentric guy, racist guy, yeah. and God needs to do a work in his life. And I think God did do a work in his life. It's the very reason we got the book Jonah. He, I think he was reporting back on himself <coughs> and his, his weaknesses and, uh, and his failure. And I, I think the gospel has got to shape what we do. So when we come across people who are practicing stuff that we don't like, that we, you know, oh, you want to write to the sure. Times ab- yeah. about, we actually should be people who say, I actually almost expect this is what happens in a fallen mm-hmm. world. And the only answer for a fallen world is not political s- solutions, whether they be right or left. Um, but actually, the only hope for a fallen world is the saving message of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, you know, blind Bartimaeus, Jesus said to him, what can I do for you? You know, other gods are demanding that we do things for them. But, you know, the Son of God came to, to serve, to seek and to serve that which was lost. If we're looking at missional churches, churches that are really reaching out there, I wonder, can we just talk through some of the elements and I wonder if you would agree with me what these elements would be. Okay, so we're looking at, at preaching. So obviously it's all about Jesus, but we're calling folk to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Is, is preaching going to be central in a healthy church? Yeah, I, I, definitely, because it is God's word that does the work. Now, we've got to be careful because what people <coughs> mean by preaching is so varied sure and um, um, if i could say we need the breadth that scripture itself gives us that the mm-hmm. new testament gives us you look at the different presentations of paul again let's go back to acts which is such a great yeah. book for understanding some uh, of the ways that we approach things if he was in a synagogue uh, he was able to appeal to the uh, to the old testament yeah uh, to, to, to their scriptures and he would argue from that but then you'll find he goes to other places. He goes to Lystra, he goes to Athens, where there wouldn't have been uh, the uh, scriptures as yeah. a basis for argument. And he takes a totally different approach. So Lystra, you've got him referencing the fields and the sun and yeah. stuff like that. Athens, he even quotes uh, Epimenides and Aratus, yeah. old poets and so on, uh, sort of iconic people in their culture, and he uses it against them. So in preaching, not only must we be really fully understanding the word and do all the work and understand, you know, handle it well, What what's the authorial intent and stuff like that. We've actually got to be looking at the people we're speaking to. Do sure. they get it? You see, if I was to, some of the context that, that I've been in, if I was to say to someone, have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? Yeah, it sounds a bit gooey, they, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it, it sounds, it sounds nutty. Like a farmyard accident, it's you nutty. know. Yeah. Whereas you and I love that language because we know what that sure. language we means. We speak it's, it. We're bilingual. It's precious language. Yeah. But if you're, if you're not part of that, if that hasn't been your culture and upbringing, which is 
representative of 95% of the population in our country, then you don't start there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I heard you one of your sermons, I think you preached it last week in the chapel, and, you know, you were just having a platform there, it looked quite relaxed, I mean, there must have been hundreds of folk there. But you, I mean, you are so old and so incredibly wise. <laughs> you were talking to the folk through uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, which, okay, it's a bit old school, but you were yeah. referencing the culture. And isn't that exactly what Paul did when he quoted some of the poets yeah, exactly. from the pagan poets round about? And there's a bridge there. And folk don't want to come into church and realise this is from 200 years ago. You know, they, they want, you know, John Stott t- spoke about the bridge, didn't they, between the Bible and contemporary society. So what what else makes good preaching? Is is all about Jesus, it's biblical, <clears throat> it's got illustration. What else do you look in a good sermon? I, I look for the fact that the preacher feels it. Yeah. Because that's authentic preaching. <laughs> a preacher who is... As it were, just handling propositional truth in some sort of cold, detached way. I don't think you can preach the gospel okay, so, in a cold, detached way. So there's way. feeling, there's passion. Yep. Would you use, again, a, a little bit of an inward unction? Uh, unction is not something that you can produce. This is, this is no, where i No, but would I'm, you use that word? Would you say that there is such a thing? Oh, yeah. When I come to preach, I pray. God, yeah. by your Holy Spirit, I, I want to be saying things in a way that are going to reach the people in front of me. Now, in my, you know, I was brought up in the Lloyd-Jones sure. era, you know, he sort of came to the family home and stuff like that, I heard him, <clears throat> and I just thought, wow, that, that was speaking to people there and then, and as a preacher, I'm no Lloyd-Jones at all, praise God, I'm, I'm Andy Patterson, who I'm, yeah. I'm who I am. Uh, and I want to communicate God's word rightly understood through the personality that he has sovereignly given me in such a way that it's authentic, that the Holy Spirit is leading and prompting. And I may say things that are not in my notes, which may be Holy Spirit-led, yeah. uh, and someone may come, as they actually did, that, that message you were referring to. Someone came, uh, and I'd, I'd been talking about Hosea and Goma, and had shared something very similar had happened to him. And now how did that happen? That, mm-hmm. Someone who came in, what was that was God yeah. at work. I mean, it's a supernatural transaction, you know, really good preaching of the word. I think one thing that certainly changed in my life, I used to mix up unction with shouting, for example, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there yeah. was a kind of phony yeah. unction. Yeah. You put on that little, well, I didn't, but, you know, one has heard the quavery, holy voice yeah. and stuff like that. It's a real turn off. So, okay, we've got powerful preaching. Preaching, there's word and spirit. Let, let's go where, you know, if you pardon the, the split infinitive, boldly go where no man has gone before. Um, let's talk about singing. Let's talk about worship or the sung worship. Is, is that important? Um, it is in as much as it is a reflection of the hearts of the people who gather. So when church gathers, it is believers who who are gathering together. You see, I would say church isn't the first place that you do evangelism. Sure, I agree. Um, Church, by definition, is people who are gathering together who love Jesus, and they strengthen each other, and they speak to each other or sing to each other, and they sing to God their (coughs) praises uh, to him. Uh, And I want those to be true words, 
heartfelt words and for, for, for me personally, I would want to see it in ways that musically I relate to it. Yeah, I mean, the folk often say, and this is spoken of as a cliche, there's an audience of one in worship and that's God. That sounds really pious and really good, but doesn't the scripture say to speak to one another in Sam Simpson's spiritual songs? Yep. So you have a vertical dimension with God. But we are also the audience of our own worship as we use worship to encourage one another. Am I off-piste here or have I got no. something? Because I, I, what we need to understand is the, the scriptures were written and birthed in a period of, of honor, the honor-shame culture where actually the collective identity of the community was far stronger than the individualism that has now emerged in the West. And the individualism that we have in the West is, is a real curse. So that yeah. it almost becomes church, you, you get a number of churches which are performance generated and mm -hmm. you'll get the bright flashing screens and you'll get the band playing and you are there as a, a spectator, an individual being ministered to. Whereas I think if we're to try and recapture the sense of worship that seems to be conveyed in the scriptures to me, it is that we are as a community uh, coming together. That's why I think it's good in sometimes to some of our songs have too many I's and me's, and I would far sure. rather that we had a lot more we's, like the collective <laughs> uh, recognition of these things. You want to have a God-centeredness. There's, there's, you know, it's a little bit of a, a side issue here, but does, you know, action bother you in worship? I mean, one of the things I've really learned to appreciate from Latin friends, for example, is exuberance in worship, just joy. And, you know, friends of mine from Brazil and Peru come to Scotland. And they find out, you know, our worship's have stayed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, your English is even worse down there. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, is, is there a place for appreciating variety? Oh, I, I'm, definitely. I, we've got to be ourselves. Yeah. And you see, here we are in a Northern European setting. We are in a colder climate. In a colder <laughs> climate, it's an indoor society. Yeah. We are by far... We're more private and individual. You go to the hotter climes, whether it's southern Mediterranean or Africa or South America, this is an outdoor society, not cut off from one another in their little boxes, but intermingling, sharing with one another, being far more expressive in the way that they communicate with one another. And so I would say we've got to be ourselves. Del delight in the Lord in the way that is appropriate for you. And so I love it if my brothers and sisters in that context, if, if they want to move more, that's fine. Um, and I, at times I find myself just raising a hand in worship, not because it's a, a sort of a popular thing to do, but somehow I'm just going... You're just spontaneous. Oh, you can't Lord, yeah. I just want to acknowledge your, your, yeah. your, your greatness. And you try and do it with a gospel heart. So in other words, if I do these things and say, look at me, mm -hmm. I'm super spiritual, then you've blown it, and, sure. and that's despicable. But where worship is from the heart, with people who really love Jesus and are looking at Jesus and not at people round about them, which is the yeah. great danger in our churches, that actually, oh, look at that person over there, what yeah. they're doing. I'm saying, well, you shouldn't be looking at that person over there. You should be really focusing on the words and you should be communing and delighting yourself. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell's got a really interesting book called Blink. And his thesis is that you can very often analyse much of the truth of a situation in that initial blink. is literally a blink reaction. 
Now, I think that you can tell the health of a church sometimes just in, in a blink. Again, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I think if I could say there's a number of ways that you judge a church. Number one, I would judge a church on its website, mm-hmm. strangely. Uh, I think you can tell, has this, is this church concerned about reaching the outsider? Yeah. Or is this just a notice board for the holy huddle? Um, secondly, I think you can judge a church, or at least you, you get a feel of a church when you go into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, what does it look like? Sure. Is it, are the doors open? Are, am I being invited in? And am I being greeted? Yeah. I've been, too many churches I've gone into, well, I've never been before, you know, maybe I've gone there as a preacher and they don't know I'm the preacher, and you get, oh, the way you're treated is appalling. Yeah. Um, so I think you get a feeling then, and then when you go and you are part of that worshipping community, you will get a sense of, uh, when, when people start responding to, to the Lord, and by that I mean the way that they sing, it, it could be the most solemn psalm singing, <laughs> and you will get a sense that God is here, these people love Jesus, or you could be singing, uh, you know, the latest City of Light song, sure. and you go, you go, this is great, these people. There's almost an, an irrelevance in these uh, ephemera. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, sometimes, you, you know, you've gone up to churches and there's the famous half door. So for some reason, you know, there's double doors and there's one half of them uh, closed. Although you can get caught out because I was doing some consulting in the Western Isles once and I was making this point, why are your doors not wide open? And the guy says, are you serious? This is February. If yeah, we, yeah. you know, open these windows, yeah. uh, doors wide, the place will get blown up. Yeah, but, but, but equally, we, for example, back in the church I pastored in Bristol, Kensington Baptist yeah. Church, we, um, around about 2002, we did a major refurb of our building. And one of the things I specifically <laughs> asked for was glass doors. Yeah. So that when the church was, was there, when the church had gathered for worship, um, people could see in. And yeah. particularly on a darker evening... Uh, folks were going by uh, and they would look in and they they saw something going on. And in fact, I, interestingly, we had a guy who came in. He was an Iranian. He'd recently come to the country. He thought there was a party going on. Mm-hmm. Now, if I could just say Kensington Baptist was not a, a, a wild... It wasn't a party church. ...church, but it was people in loving in each other, sharing together, and he thought there's something real here. He came in. As a result of that, there's a large Iranian sure. fellowship that, that now, you know, 15 years on, meets with glad delight, and it was because folks were able to see this is a, this is a genuine worshipping community. Yeah. And good evangelism is very often spontaneous, you know, yeah. uh, although we can be taught how to witness, there is a spontaneity about it. You know, if I've gone to a great restaurant, I will just immediately, spontaneously, unthinkingly uh, speak of, of, of a great restaurant. Uh, just a, a couple of other things. Now, you are now an associate at Charlotte Chapel. You were previously at Kensington in Bristol, where were you before that? Um, I was an assistant for three years to a guy called Bev Savage at the Slade Church, which I was Bev, yeah. East London, South East London. So yeah. I'm very grateful for all I learnt uh, there. Right, interesting. So you, you've been in cities. You've been in London. You've been in Bristol. Now you are in Edinburgh. Um, you know, as said, 80% of the world's population are going to be living in cities in the next 25 years. Um, what do you feel about cities? Uh, cities are great places 
They can be lonely places. Yeah. You know, as with all areas, they have their strengths and their weaknesses. And we've got to be able to understand that. We should be able to read a city or a population um, wherever we are. What does that mean? How do people respond? So what is interesting, for example, one of the stats that really interested me when I, I was reading about the decline of Anglicanism, that's, yeah. you know, I'm not saying it's that's a, that's a well-defined thing. The only area within the Anglican Church that is growing is that of cathedral worship. Sure. Because, and when they reviewed people, when they asked people about it, it was because of the anonymity they knew they would have there. Mm -hmm. So people need space to think. But at the same time, we are living, particularly in the cities, where there are more single occupancy dwellings than ever before. At least one quarter of the population in cities lives in single occupancy dwellings and people are looking for community so there is a tension we, we want to give people space to think about things but we also want to give them a community where there's going to be love and acceptance and where people are going to be able to talk with them share with them um, in that way uh, i think rural communities have totally other issues island communities have mm -hmm other issues i was talking to a guy uh, yesterday he ministers on a particular island and and I, everyone knows everyone else's business yeah. on an island that doesn't happen in a city um and even cities will vary so here uh, we're speaking in edinburgh edinburgh is different from glasgow mm -hmm. edinburgh is different from bristol mm -hmm. and, and and london each city has its own peculiarities and we've got to be able to read We've got to be able to exegete, as it were, if I could use that word, it's a, a city, word. understand it so that we can minister into it in the most effective way. And in cities, we're going to often get the marginalised. They will come. It's a safer place. Tim Keller's done a lot of really helpful work on this. Minorities will come into cities, safer places. It's where you'll thrive and prosper. And, and therefore, the whole diversity that we get in cities is something that's believers we have to be ready for and want to encourage with all our hearts now i hear a lot of folk you know folk are maybe in small towns places like paisley or greenock or kilmarnock or Dunoon, maybe even folk in rural areas up in the highlands rosher or down in the borders and again they're saying oh it's all about cities these days you know it's all about keller it's all about redeemer it's all about you know even the name city to city what about us in small towns? You know, what would you say to these guys and these girls in these churches who are beginning to feel it's all about cities? Yeah, because um, my own sort of Scottish credentials here is that, that <laughs> Grandad was raised in Falkirk and Dad was uh, born in Methyl over in Fife. And originally my granddad started off uh, in the Siemens Bethel at Methyl. Oh my, that's a bit of a rhyme. Yeah. So it, it, at least I can remember. The Siemens Bethel in Methyl. Methyl. I don't think it exists. And, and I even had problems finding where Methyl was. I bet you they don't have a great website. Map. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. So, so that's I'm, where your roots are, small town Scotland. So, uh, but yeah, and interestingly, Grandad was a great evangelist. So um, he cut his teeth, actually, in some of the villages in uh, Suffolk, after the Lowestoft revival yeah. of the early 1920s. And so he was doing lots of village work. And there was a real move of God in the villages. He, he would have been on one of these things where the horses towed the caravans mm -hmm. that had the verses on the side. And they'd set up uh, and preach the gospel and, and people would be saved. But that was then. 
Last week, I was in Cumbria. I was in Kendal, and we had a meeting of guys who pastor churches in, in that area. There's lots of small <coughs> communities, and one of the issues that they're trying to engage with is you can't have a church in every small community. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. sustain a church in every small community. And therefore, we have to start thinking more imaginatively. Yep. And so one of the things we were exploring was in, in some of the smaller communities, maybe that a, a, a slightly larger church takes a responsibility for some of the smaller villages. And even a home group, a, a small group meets there during the week. And not only is that a fellowship time for believers in that area, but maybe even a gospel time. And because there is far greater mobility today, um, people who are maybe in the smaller areas they can, yep. they could go to a larger church for fellowship and encouragement, but maybe <laughs> their gospel witness isn't going to be Sunday-based. Now, that may be a bit contentious, and but I, I think we've got to be creative. We mustn't um, lose the people who are in small villages, in towns, rural communities. Uh, We've got to be working out how can we reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And rather than maybe planting a church in that area initially, it yeah. may well be that we're going to develop a <coughs> small group in a home that meets there and share the word and see what God does. Yeah, one of our projects in Generation in the next few months is just to explore how we can resource and help folk in rural situations. So I'll be having more conversations with you. I think what I'm hearing is, just as you said, as a preacher... You've got to preach as Andy Patterson. You're not, you know, Lloyd Jones. So congregations have to preach with or operate rather within their own skin. And a fundamental mistake I find is that when large churches try to operate as small churches, and as small churches also try to operate as large churches. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And those who've looked at this more closely and some helpful books have been written talk about the different dynamics that as you move from a church of maybe 50 to a church of 100, or you move from being yeah. a church of 100 to 200, there are major dynamic changes in each of those areas which wise pastors will become aware of. You see, when you're a small church, everyone knows everyone. If you're missing, someone will be saying, we didn't see you yeah. at church on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Now, that's great. That's brilliant. But in with growth, there comes a time when maybe the pastor isn't going to be able to see you yeah. all the time, and you are going to be... You'll be absent and folks won't notice. <coughs> and I just think uh, we need to be very wise shepherd leaders yeah. uh, of our flocks, recognising that there are different demands, different yeah. needs, different opportunities. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're drawn to a conclusion here, but certainly one of my favourite books is one written by a colleague of yours, Ray Evans, Ready, Steady, Grow. Mm. Uh, I think that's one of the most significant books written in recent years it's accessible and it's british and it's written by ray who's obviously a very smart guy um he's you know he's not a a bright young thing in his 20s uh you know he's got a few gray hairs so it brings a bit of authenticity Uh, anything you've read recently that you have found interesting i would certainly concur about Ray. Ray's an interesting character because he's a, he's a Cambridge PhD. Yeah. As you say, he's a very bright cookie. But actually, he started as a window cleaner You're right? and then planted a, a church in Bedford. And his particular thing is he just loves lead, reading uh, 
management theory books mm-hmm. and bringing his biblical mind to bear. And so he's there is massive wisdom, and he is really appreciated around our churches. He's, he's, he's much in demand. Um, the area that I'm particularly at, at this moment challenged by, David, is the whole area of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been reading uh, a few books. The Rosario... Rosario but- Butterfield's got a new one out, yeah? Yep, which, which I haven't read as yet. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I think she's coming to Edinburgh quite yeah, soon. I yeah, saw yeah. A, a note of that. I think it might even be at the chapel. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Oh, um, I hope it is. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, and then there is another one that I'm reading halfway through, and I'm afraid off the top of my head, I can't remember it, it, its title, but it's picking up on the same thing. I've also heard some excellent uh, preaching by a guy called John Mark Comer on it, on hospitality, as that's, you know, for all we say about how we reach others with the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it strikes me that one of the great things is be hospitable. And by that, I don't mean entertain people. Yeah. I mean you have a home which is open and warm and welcoming. You show the love of Christ. You practice the gospel where you are. And anyone can do that. Anywhere that they are. Anyone listening to this podcast can do that. Just think, how do I connect with my nearest neighbour? If that nearest neighbour is sort of next door to you by 10 yards or whether that nearest neighbor uh, lives a mile away from you the point is how do i connect how do i show love how do i help people how do i have this heart that is naturally overflowing with gospel love and isn't doing it because i see people as projects but because i want my heart to be an overflow of the love of god so do good over 25 references in the new testament (laughs) do good and I fear at times we don't get that enough. Andy, it's been great talking to you. This is one of the longest podcasts we've ever done. Um, that's what happens when two old friends get together and start <laughs> chatting. We could yeah, talk oh, here for good. hours. I've loved getting to know you. I've in the Free Church of Scotland through generation. We've loved working with FIC. We only see that working increasingly. <clears throat> we work upstairs together in Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Uh, our church planters meet with some of your church planters monthly, and it's, it's great to share knowledge and have fellowship. So thanks for coming in today. I wish you every blessing in FIC and your work in the chapel. Thank you. And David, just before you do sort of sign off, could I just say that the high regard and love that we in FIC have, not only for you and as an individual, as, 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 you, as mission director for the, the Free Church, but for what is happening in the Free Church and with Generation and for what we are seeing, we praise God for you and we pray for you and we will go on doing so. Thank you. That's a real blessing to us. Okay, folks, that's it for today. And I hope the rest of your day is blessed to you. Thank you. Thank you.